and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 60th episode of the podcast for the week of July 8th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our animal ambassador of the week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I am so happy to welcome Denver-based professional astrologer, lecturer, and teacher Lisa Scheim to the podcast. And we will be discussing integrating modern and traditional astrology. So now before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today, and if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access to the podcast for only $1 per month, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. You can also make a one-time donation to the podcast if you'd like to show support, and you can do that through Mel's tip jar over on my webpage at energeticprinciples.com. So now let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady continues along uh, as she is waxing away and growing in light during the summer eclipse season. Uh, And we start out the week with Luna in the airy social realm of Libra and where she will make her first quarter position while we sleep here in North America early Tuesday morning. She remains in this heady space until moving into the passionate waters of Scorpio on Wednesday. She will certainly heat up the emotional landscape in the latter half of the week, yet by Friday when she moves into Sagittarius, the energy expands a bit more optimistically. She'll remain in the fires of the Archer until Sunday evening when she then moves into the practical Earth of Capricorn. And I will note we will be on countdown to the lunar eclipse at that point. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, add about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, add about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. All right, my friends, we have quite the week before us. It's like a pivotal week in 2019, I would say. So we have the sun making its way to conjunct the north node uh, and make an opposition to Saturn, the south node, and Pluto in Capricorn, uh, while also our Cancer sun is trining into Neptune and Pisces. We also have Mercury, who is now retrograde, and a strong retrograde, because it just started backing up on Sunday. Uh, But it backs up to conjoin Mars, while Mars also makes a square to Uranus, um, and in 
basically Venus is making a a sextile to Uranus as well and squaring Chiron, while Mars trines Chiron as well. So there's a lot of uh, oh, and did I mention Chiron is stationing this week too? There's so much energy in the air. And we have that first quarter moon in Libra pushing us forward, especially with the relationship dynamic. So the real meat of eclipse season happens this week. So let's not waste any time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Libra, and she'll make a sextile to Mars and a sextile to Mercury, who's now retrograde, and a square to Venus. Also of note, we have Venus making a sextile to Uranus that day and a square to Chiron, and this is the day that Chiron, uh, who is over in Aries, will be stationing to go retrograde. So Chiron is very strong in the skies this week. Um, So Venus, let's look at Venus here first. Uh, Well, actually, before we get that, So Venus is doing her thing, right? Well, we also have Mercury now retrograde, making its second conjunction to Mars in Leo. Uh, So basically, all the personal planets are doing something on Monday and are really getting this week's uh, energetic story started. So let's start with Venus first here. So Venus, just a reminder, she's our relationship planet. She is what opens us up to things and allows us to attract and draw in. She is all about balance and harmony and grace and art and, you know, the beauty of the world. Um, And so here we have her meeting Uranus uh, in a sextile. And a sextile is an opportunity. We open a door to something and we're opening the door to Uranus, who is trying to awaken us in some way and free our energy up and shake off old debris. And that can bring, uh, you know, fast change in life or unexpected change or where we just, you know, kind of have to uh, break out of an influence. But we also have that square to Chiron. And so squares, you know, we are seeing events, action, challenges, you know, things are getting uh, heated up, especially with Chiron and Aries there. And so Chiron taps into uh, things that may trigger us, certain certain uh, pains, old insecurities, uh, wounds that we need to heal with. But that's the thing is it gives us wisdom through this experience and gives us also healing opportunities. So I'll just say as a caveat, I think this is a very healing week in many uh, respects. Okay, so with so many things going on this week, I'm going to do my best to try to encapsulate it into a cohesive story, but I feel like many aspects of our personal storylines are being rewritten in many ways. So here we have at the start of the week uh, with Venus in Cancer connecting with both Uranus and Chiron, uh, and really a placement that has been triggered several times before this last pass that is being made by Venus. So Venus is kind of the last, Venus is the caboose, right? right now (laughs) coming in to do the last uh, kind of cleanup with these transits, which is actually pretty perfect since she is a harmonizer um, and a benefic. So I I think that this is a, a good influence. But really, Chiron is stationing today, too. So the planetary symbolism around uh, that kind of wounded healer and that healing and that that wisdom from the healing uh, and initiation of sorts is uh, really 
prevalent and strong in the skies. And so just a quick heads up that uh, the Sun, Mercury, and Mars have already made it to this kind of configuration. Um, So the Sun uh, squared Chiron on June 27th, Mercury did on June 7th, and then Mars did on May 23rd. So I have a feeling that where there have been, you know, little unexpected triggers that came up periodically over the last month and a half with these previous passes, we now have a dose of sugar that, you know, the spoonful of sugar, I guess you could say, that can bring in the healing of Venus's strong divine feminine energy. And in a way that can create a magical healing elixir if we are willing to engage with potential discomfort by getting things off our chest or asserting our needs to those we are in communion with. You know, we can heal, but healing puts us uh, in a vulnerable and potentially dis- uh, uncomfortable type of place. So um, it is also possible that this could be an awakening to your own values in a way that can help squash conflicts and free up the energy to move forward. Because some things just don't hold value, especially if they're causing us pain or causing us conflict in life. So shake off any energetic debris and open to the potential wisdom that is seeding in at this time. Now, with Mercury now retrograde and making that second conjunction to Mars, uh, just a little recap, Mercury is, you know, what we're learning, what we're communicating, what we're thinking in our heads, how we're processing things, the news, emails, calls, you know, those types of things that come in. And we got to keep in mind that Mercury is now retrograde, so this is very much an internal process or at least reviewing something that has happened before. Now, with a conjunction, these are new cycles, but Mercury and Mars are going through this cycle dance, basically. So this is a new cycle that will probably last about a month or so in time, but it's still very important. Um, And then Mars, of course, is our focused action and our drive and where we put our motivation in life and how we assert ourselves. Uh, And this is all going to be taking place in the fixed fire sign of Leo. So with Mercury now retrograde and making its second conjunction to Mars, uh, the first which took place June 18th in the sensitive sign of Cancer. So this is our second follow-up, but different energies. So before it was in, you know, watery Cancer, but now the two are meeting in that optimistic and fiery energy of Leo, uh, which is suggesting that, you know, we have another follow-up of the energy that is building our story here. And so the intent of the mind and the focus of our actions meet in this contemplative retrograde zone as we as we review let's say that how many times fast (laughs) the need for greater gratitude and joy in our lives while also finding ourselves more grounded in the heart you know we're trying to bring in and lighten some things up and connect with the heart center and what brings us joy because those things are important in life So internal changes are taking place and we are reviewing our next steps with some potential realizations of great clarity now coming in for us to build upon. Yet with this new information coming in, changes will likely need to be made. And with Mars on course to square Uranus in just a few days time, these new understandings are likely to light the fire underneath us so we can create a more stable foundation. Because we are essentially setting the stage here for the Sun-Saturn opposition. 
So the bottom line for Monday is is that we feel the pushing energy of that first quarter moon in Libra. Um, It doesn't perfect on Monday, but it it does while we sleep here uh, on Tuesday. So we're feeling the brew, basically, on Monday. And so Luna's cruising through the balance-oriented sign of Libra. And so this is a potent time for communications and social interactions with others uh, because we will be seeking beauty and harmony. Um, But things may be a little off as Luna makes a square to Venus while she's going through all these transits. You know, she's talking to Uranus, talking to Chiron, yet the moon is squaring her. So there's that discomfort I was talking about. And that might be coming through a conversation, especially with a loved one. Um, Not for everybody, but that's a possibility. Uh, Now, so essentially we are seeking balance and we will be challenged with our interpersonal skills today. Yet we are emotionally connected in harmonizing whatever it is that we value most. So we're going to make an effort (laughs) if we love it. All right. So on Tuesday, we do have our last quarter moon in Libra. Uh, She'll make a sextile to Jupiter and square the sun, which is our first quarter. Did I say last quarter? I meant first quarter. Mercury, it's messing with me. It's Tuesday, first quarter. We're pushing off, not ending up. (laughs) So, all right. So that square to the sun, square to Saturn, and then a square to Pluto. All the fun stuff on Tuesday, which happens to be my birthday. Lucky me. My solar return this year is one hell of a chart. We'll just say that. All right. So on Tuesday, we have the sun uh, who is making a conjunction to the north node while also making an opposition to Saturn and the south node. So this is definitely a turning point, um, and really this whole week is here. But let's recap. The sun, the sun, it's our vital energy. It's what shines the light. It's what brings us awareness and consciousness and purpose and life force. Uh, And essentially, whenever the sun shows up and we have all these sun transits this week, we are turning a page. And so with this opposition to Saturn in a big page, because we're talking about the nodal structures, we're talking about eclipse season. This isn't just any page. This is, (laughs) you know. Um, So here we have the sun lighting up uh, the archetype of Saturn in an opposition. So oppositions, we're always looking to maybe something outside of us or something outside of us calls us to make a choice or decision or confronts us with something or where we have to meet in the middle with opposing viewpoints when we're in a tug of war about something. And a lot of times relationship dynamics, because oppositions tend to put, put us against something that is outside of ourselves. And so here we have the sun meeting with Saturn, which Saturn's all about, you know, what does the long term look like? How are we organizing our life? What foundation are we walking upon? Uh, Where are we taking responsibility, uh, commitment, how we tap into our own authority and structure our lives? And so there's a consolidation force that is taking place. And especially with Saturn conjunct the south node again, um, there is... uh, There is a reconfiguring, but there's also a release happening here. So so as the sun in Cancer makes its rounds this week, uh, it cues up to make that conjunction with the north node and then make that opposition to Saturn in the south node uh, on Tuesday. But then the sun will go on to try Neptune on Wednesday and then another opposition to Pluto on Sunday. And so we have an energetic lineup that has really already been tapped into by the likes of Mars and Mercury uh, between June 13th and June 19th. Uh, both those planets uh, tapped into this configuration. 
in. So if you want to look back at that, you know, um, that point in time, you'll probably get a little flavor for what the energy is now kind of getting a conscious uh, solar hit around so that you can integrate, you know, what it is you know at this point. And so the sun helps us turn that page, like I was saying, um, but sometimes it even helps us, you know, turn uh, the chapter in our book of life or write a new chapter. And I consider this past to help bring some um, some sort of sweet relief our way. I think this is actually, you know, because Saturn holds on to the burdens, but I think that this is about examining what those are so that we can relieve ourselves of them. Um, Because sometimes when we constrict and close down or life puts barriers in our way, that can actually provide a psychic relief as that weight is now taken off our shoulders. Plus, when we become more aware of what we would like uh, our long-term plan to look like, we can follow our needs and take charge of our own personal authority to adjust our plans to this newfound clarity. So look to what is in your life um, that is kind of leaking out energy or draining you in some way, and then take the steps to help bring a sense of relief, that uh, celestial draino. <laughs> we want to unclog our uh, our drains here a little bit and just you got it. Um, Which is actually quite perfect because we have that trine to Neptune that comes tomorrow. So the bottom line for Tuesday is is that there is a lot of action while we sleep here in North America uh, because that first quarter moon is going to perfect early in the morning. We are still in the partnership territory of Libra, and there is likely to be tension and emotional disruption with the square to Uranus and Pluto. Yet we are, uh, sorry, not Uranus, Saturn. (laughs) Saturn and Pluto, although Uranus is definitely in the mix this week. Um, So there is that potential for emotional disruption and tension that I was talking about, yet we are getting valuable information from any hiccups of the feelings that occur. So we are being pushed towards change, and luckily this cardinal air moon that we are under, this Libra moon, can help us to detach and open to new possibilities that are in the air for both ourselves and others. On Wednesday, the moon is now in Scorpio, so it'll take a uh, a passionate and uh, watery turn for sure. And on Wednesday, Luna is going to square Mercury retrograde. She's going to square Mars. She's going to oppose Uranus and trine Venus. So we do have quite the energy in the air on Wednesday. Uh, But we also have the Sun-Neptune trine perfecting as well. So we already went over the Sun being that life force conscious energy where we're turning that page. Uh, And a trine is all about there being no obstacles. You know, things are flowing. There are no boundaries to this. And so the sun is flowing towards this Neptunian principle, which Neptune uh, is tapping into spiritual inspiration. It's where we look at things through a more of a dreamy filter or where, uh, you know, there is maybe something that falls away from our life as old situations are now dissolving and they are of no use to us. They don't hold a foundation like they used to. And so there can be some haziness or kind of that spiritual in-between energy that happens when we have Neptune contacts. And so really, we are confronted with the cold, hard reality of Saturn yesterday, and now we encounter the flowing vibe of a grand water trine that is created by the sun in Cancer, Neptune in Pisces, and the moon in Scorpio, which we will feel on both Wednesday and Thursday. So we have this grand water trine swirling about. So all this water, I mean, you can see that in your third eye, like how that could impact us um, as people. So... 
Essentially, now we are clearing the way as we tune into spirit and help heal the soul. And it may feel a little dreamy as if we are in an alternative reality of some sort or that in-between zone that I was talking about. So really go with the flow and let the waters wash away whatever is no longer supporting you Uh, because there is a divine influence that is helping us process at this time, Uh, particularly as the sun is uh, conjoined with North Node and the North Node in this position. So that it's really a significant week for 2019. Like whatever falls away or whatever you uh, attach to spiritually, you know, this is the, the direction we are meant to go down. So spirit is pointing us in that right direction with a sense of ease because it's a flow, but it's only easy (laughs) if we embrace it uh, and accept it and and go with it. Um, So maybe find some time to connect in a quiet space because you can really tap into a well of spiritual abundance that is flowing at this time. But you might need to have that space to oneself and that quiet inner, uh, like a bath or, or swimming or going in the ocean. Oh, this would be a great day to to like just dip in the ocean and let yourself just be reborn, basically. So if you have that luxury, definitely do that. All right, so the bottom line for Wednesday is that we have a grand water trine that is activated now that Luna is cruising through the watery depths of passionate Scorpio. And this is likely to be somewhat of a disruptive day, maybe bringing in a few surprises here and there as the moon activates tomorrow's Mars-Uranus square. Um, So, you know, this day may be a little gritty or a little hairy with, you know, a chance of drama in the air. Um which is even more of a reason to flow with that Sun-Neptune trine. Uh, Just kind of flow with it, go with it. Let it go and let it flow, as they say. (laughs) And let it grow. I think I said that a couple weeks ago. But luckily, Luna's trine to Venus later in the evening, maybe when you're doing that ocean dip, (laughs) will help flow in some healing water energy around life's current pivots. All right, so Thursday, Thursday, the moon is still in Scorpio, and she will sextile Saturn. She'll make that trine to Neptune and the sun, which is creating that grand water trine, and then a sextile to Pluto. Also, on Thursday, we have Mars perfecting its square to Uranus, so let's let's dive into that. So Mars, like we said earlier, Mars is what gets us up in the morning, you know, what drives us forward, how we put the two feet in front of one another because we're motivated to do something. Um, But there can also be a little bit of aggression, and especially with Uranus involved, there could be accidents. Um, So I'm just saying, you know, not saying that that will happen to you, but just be uh, aware that there's kind of that accidental energy in the air right now. And especially with squares, because we're seeing events, we're seeing challenges, friction, uh, action taking place. And really, that's happening with Uranus, which we already said is about, uh, you know, a turnaround or unexpected things coming our way or, or where we're awakened or where we need to break free from something, but can also be sudden storms like that uh, kind of um, accident energy that I was uh, saying earlier. So I don't want to scare anybody, but I just want everyone to be conscious of their uh, movements this week. 
All right. So the action commences as Mars squares off with the freedom-inducing spirit of Uranus. So, you know, things are heating up right now. And much of what has already happened this week will play into the freeing up of energy that this aspect can bring. And we are more in tune with where we have been holding back or chained down by insecurities and fears um, or not alignment with our heart in some way. Uh, And here we can get that spiritual understanding and a newfound wisdom in place because Mars is also trining into Chiron at this time. So we can make new emotional starts in our internal lives and our outer relationships um, because really both Mars and Uranus are deferring to the Sun and Venus in Cancer. So even though it's happening in a fire sign, you know, fiery Leo and earthy Taurus, there's still so much of that connective relationship component to this configuration. And so what may be thought of as a traditionally disruptive energy, uh, which I just mentioned, can also be helping us, uh, you know, get closer to one another, or at the very least, bring us to where we need to be by breaking free of some type of activity or influence, or maybe even relationship, if that's uh, right for you. Um, But really, we're touching down on the root of the matter, and we have to kind of shake things up a little bit. So overall, I see this as a very healing aspect that will help us release and transform whatever has been holding us back, releasing that tension, Uh, because it is actually quite perfect that we can release at this time because we're going to be heading towards that Sun-Pluto opposition that is taking place on Sunday. And of course, that upcoming lunar eclipse that is very much tied into all this. So the bottom line for Thursday is that where yesterday may have been more trying, uh, we can now embrace the healing and transformative waters of Scorpio more effectively as Luna perfects a grand water trine with both the Sun and Neptune. And there is a transformative energy to this day as long as we accept and surrender to the process of letting spirit come in and cleanse our current life situations, uh, which, you know, is with let go, let, let it flow. Like we have to like be open to it. So release any grip you may have on the outcome and commit to the rebirth that lies ahead. Now, on Friday, the moon is now in Sagittarius, thank goodness, Uh, and they'll be making a trine to Mercury retrograde and Mars. Uh, And so both Friday and Saturday, we don't have any aspects perfecting. We're just kind of moving towards that Sun-Pluto opposition. So the bottom line for Friday is that a breath of fresh air comes in as Luna is now gallivanting in the optimistic fires of Sagittarius. And so we are ready to move forward and stretch our wings a bit, as if the emotional big picture has now come into place and we can see the grander scheme of things. And this is likely to be an active day with the moons trying to Mercury retrograde and Mars. So make some moves and engage in correspondence or write some things down that come to you and and see where the energy takes you because transition is in the air and we are ready to expand. Now, on Saturday, the moon is in Sagittarius still and will make a conjunction to Jupiter and then a square to Neptune. And so the bottom line for Saturday is that more of the big picture is continuing continuing to come together as Luna makes that conjunction to Jupiter. And we are feeling quite ready to get on with it uh, and to, you know, bring on that growth that is inevitably underway. And Luna squared to Neptune can kind of lower the energies a bit on Saturday. So if you can, use this day-to-day dream uh, or to create or to engage in philosophical or spiritual pursuits because it will likely be very rewarding. 
So I guess we can think of this weekend as our own personal church service. So whatever church looks like for you, because I know that can mean many things to many people, uh, make that happen this week. Go, go to your own personal church. All right, so on Sunday, if we've made it this far through the week, (laughs) just kidding. All right, so Sunday, the moon is still in Sagittarius, but we'll move to Capricorn around 4 p.m. here on the Pacific Coast. And we actually don't have any lunar aspects taking place here, Um, so it's kind of this in-between zone. But we do have the sun making that opposition to Pluto. So we've already said what the sun is. We've already looked at oppositions. Now we're putting in the Plutonian uh, dynamic, which is about change, you know, purifying conditions, transforming conditions, dealing with deep instinctual emotional material uh, that may need to be kind of uh, sorted through in order to make the change and to, you know, purify life. And so uh, we feel it. Great changes in the air. I mean, this is eclipse season overall. Um, and we have already determined from the previous aspects I've covered uh that that is exactly the case. Yet, I think that this Sun-Pluto opposition is really here to seal the deal. So, internal metamorphosis is underway as we confront the transformative awakening that this transit helps, uh, you know, present us with. And we are being guided towards fresh starts as the energy seeks to turn over and provide new opportunities in our earthly considerations. Uh, so, you know, we might be on the precipice of uh, a new job, a new home, a new relationship with your body, a new source of earning power, or a practical new start to the foundation in your relationships. And so this is a rebirth energy that is seeking to apex with the upcoming lunar eclipse that's next Tuesday. So embrace the new, even if it's the old being rebirthed. Because, you know, we mustn't throw the baby out with the bathwater if it's not necessary. So sometimes new things just means reviving what the old was and purifying it for its next cycle. So just keep that in mind as well. And also take a look at nature this weekend, or really this week in total, for I think that the nature spirits will be speaking to us to help guide us along. And through these signs and these symbols or these animals that can come to us, we can align with a solid purpose while finding the strength to tackle whatever changes and challenges lie ahead. All right, so the bottom line for Sunday is is that we are still cruising through the fires of Sagittarius and just going with the motions because we don't have any aspects to Luna. So I'd say that Sunday is a great day to play, you know, change things up a bit, add a little spontaneity or adventure into the day. Uh, But in the evening, we're going to enter kind of lunar eclipse territory once Luna moves into Capricorn. And that that emotional energy is just going to constrict towards more practical concerns. Uh, I I don't want to say the fun will be over, but um, we will feel that shift. And we were going to be aligning more with the Plutonian energies that are surfacing uh, this day. So settle in and make your plan for next week as we will be in tune with what needs to be done. All right, so to wrap it all up here, I know it's a long one this week, folks, but there really is a lot going on. Uh, So this is bound to be a very dynamic week that lies ahead of us. Uh, Much like a roller coaster, there's going to be sharp dips, there's going to be quick turns, there might be a few butterflies in your tummy, yet there's a larger story at play that is calling for our attention. We are on the road to the future, yet we must bust out of the chrysalis this week, for it's now time to embrace the new and spread our wings towards what is next. 
All right, so let's touch on these cards real quick because they add, uh, they definitely add to what I was saying. And so this week I drew the magician as the focus and the king of pentacles as the grounding. And so with the magician as the focus, there is some powerful magic swirling through the air this week. I got excited when I saw this card because who doesn't like to create the life they desire? And this week we are going to be stepping into our willpower and our resourcefulness so we can concentrate intently on our goals. So this card is all about acting on one's own volition to make something happen. And with our first quarter moon kicking off, uh, you know, kicking eclipse season into gear, it makes sense that we are pushing forward at this time. It's time to take charge of our reality this week. And by combining our focused intent with concrete action, that's very Mars and Mercury meeting together, we are going to be well on our way. Now, with the King of Pentacles as the grounding, the action we take is going to need an organized, practical, and well-thought-out plan, uh, along with some hard work and patience. So, you know, some of our favorite things. (laughs) Uh, But that really speaks to the sun's opposition to the pileup of energy that's in Capricorn. Um, And we're going to be most certainly aware of the tasks that lie ahead. So architect a solid plan with the caveat that this is a long-term endeavor that will need your routine attention if it is to succeed. So let's get to work this week using our magical powers to help better manage our lives and bring our ambitions into reality. Reality. All right, so last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the horse. <laughs> This powerful steed is here to tell us that there is a momentous force that we can ride the back of this week, as long as we make the choice to do so. This is no time to run away or subscribe to a weakness of will, for we are building a stamina that can carry us much further than where we are now. So it will be crucial that we mount up, grab the reins, and hold on for the ride. Uh, Because really an explosive life force flows through our veins this week. We're seeing it with the uh, magician. We're seeing it with all the transits uh, and now the horse. And so if we are held back in any way, it will be important to free up that energy so we can move with a greater sense of freedom. Hello, Mars square Uranus. (laughs) So let your inner horse run wild, yet with a discipline that can help us ride towards our goals, no matter how difficult they may be. All right, everyone. Well, this is normally the time where I go into my spiel about signing up for my tarot subscription. However, I am in the process of changing my Patreon up. Uh, because, you know, it's time for a change. And so I am looking for suggestions around what you may be interested in if you were uh, to see something on my Patreon. Would you be interested in educational material um, or more? You know, I'm just kind of picking the minds of my listeners so that I can find the right cocktail to put together um, to engage more on that level. Uh, Now, if you are part of my tarot subscription, I do know that it will be going for the rest of the month. And so last week we worked on the changing landscape. And this week we are going to be working on releasing tension. So to even find out what my Patreon is about or to make some suggestions there, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. 
All right. I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest. We have Lisa Scheim here. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Melissa. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. I've been uh, eyeing Lisa for a while, obviously, because uh, she is uh, does wonderful things in the astral world, but she's also frequently on the astrology podcast. And uh, I just saw her at Norwalk recently. And yeah, so I'm so glad she's on the program. So Lisa, before we get started here, will you give us a little, little background on yourself? Let people know who you are. Sure. So um, I'm a full-time consulting astrologer. I live in Denver, Colorado. Um, I do a mix of modern and traditional in my practice, which I think is why we're talking today about that topic. Um, Let's see. I also am on, as you mentioned, the astrology podcast. I do uh, an electional podcast every month with Chris Brennan and I'm on occasional other episodes. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. And so we'll actually, uh, we are talking on integrating modern and traditional astrology because I, like Lisa, have gone down the same path and it took me a bit to get there, but uh, um, it's been an interesting journey. And a lot of people think the two worlds are separate, but um, they're really not. There's a lot that of cross uh, pollination that can go on between both modern and traditional, and those are loose umbrella subjects as it is too. So I'm excited to hear you talk more about that today. But before we get started here, I thought I would just pick your brain because this episode is coming um, is coming down the pipeline during like literally the meat of our eclipse season <laughs> right now mm-hmm. in Cancer, and so I was just wondering if you had had any like quick observations or just things you've seen in your own life that are like kind of eclipse moments or how things are going (laughs) observations yeah I mean I think that the general thing that I usually observe in my own personal life is just a a sort of a weird sense of things or a weird jitteriness in the air or like insomnia or you know things just feeling a little bit weird or off Mm -hmm. um, during those few weeks between those two eclipses so I've had a bit of that Um, in terms of the macrocosm something that I've really um, observed recently, well, I think a lot of us have observed recently is, you know, I looked back on what I did for the yearly forecast a couple years ago, and I was talking about the nodes moving into Cancer and Capricorn as Saturn and Pluto were also transiting Capricorn. And I was like, issues of caring for people versus hard-nosed consolidation of power. Mm. I like literally said something like that. And so just looking at, you know, what's been going on in kind of like the macrocosmic world lately. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see a lot of those themes coming through right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like so literal, so literal. Um, yeah. Well, and I talked about it all last week in the podcast with April, but I think actually just that literal component, uh, it will be kind of tapped into what we're talking about here today or what Lisa will be bringing up <laughs> because traditional astrology actually kind of brings in more of those concrete um, observations, right? Where we see mm-hmm. things manifest in the physical world mm-hmm. uh, and in our own lives and very... Um, tangible ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so it is, uh, things are rocking. Things are a little shaky even before I got on this call. I don't know if it's all the coffee, but uh, <laughs> I just like have a feeling in my own bones where like just an extra kind of 
I like how you say jittery, like an extra vibratory mm-hmm. sense where it's just highly energized. That could be the upcoming Mars Uranus square uh, as well, sure. but uh, sure. All right. So actually, before we get t- started into our topic, which actually leads well into our topic, at least with Lisa's story here, uh, I started doing a series of what sparked people into astrology. Like what was the initial spark or interest? Because everybody kind of has different entry points. So I was curious, Lisa, what was your entry point into astrology and what kind of lit that fire? Sure. So um, let's see. I was in my early 20s when I first came across any sort of astrology beyond sun signs. So, and I had been, my undergrad was in interdisciplinary social sciences, but kind of studying pieces of religion um, from that angle. And so I was already interested in kind of like the bigger picture of what's going on in the world or different ways that people understand what's going on in the world, um, but it was more from an academic lens. And then I was living in a Buddhist meditation center after I graduated, and um, I went into the store in town. It was like this little hippie town. And um, so the bookstore, of course, had things like that and had that one book that all the astrologers like to laugh at, the only astrology book you'll ever need. (laughs) Well, of course, it's not the only one you'll ever need, but it's actually useful in terms of if you only know sun signs, it does go beyond that. It has Venus signs and Mercury signs and so forth. And so that was the first thing that I found and I was all excited and I brought it back to my housemates and I was like, what's your birthday? (laughs) Um, And so that was kind of my first taste of things. Um, And then I kind of put it aside for a few years um, and didn't think too much about it again. Um, And then I had like a major, I had some chronic illness things coming up when I was young and I had a major relapse a few years later and I was like, oh my God, why am I going through hell? Like I felt miserable. And um, I happened upon some astrology sites again. And I was like, I wonder if this will tell me why I'm going through this. And it didn't exactly tell me why, but it did correlate with the what. And so that intrigued me and I kept learning from there. Mm, yes. that will, Well, yes, because it, it is almost like you were in a crisis point and you came to astrology through that point or like you were reminded of it. Like, oh, well, maybe this can help give clarity around like the bigger meaning around why, why I'm experiencing this, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's um, okay. So the only the only astrology book you'll ever need. We've had a couple people with the Linda Goodman, you know, the uh-huh. uh, Linda Goodman girls, uh, but now we have a, a new book coming on in, and that is a pretty meaty book if you haven't seen it. Like it it, it touches on many uh, aspects of astrology. If anything, you'd open it up and be like, oh there's way more to astrology than what I just thought with the sun signs, like you were just saying. Um, Yeah, exactly. So I don't actually laugh at that book, even though like I understand why people like to joke about it, you know, once they're beyond that, but it it is helpful and as an entry point. Yeah. Well, and everyone's got to start somewhere. And that's kind of, that's kind of why I've been highlighting, um, asking this question because I think I have a lot of people that listen that are kind of on the verge of that or, or, or beginning in, or, you know, that entry point. And so hearing other people's kind of origin stories uh, is, are pretty fascinating. Um, so having that being your first book or like the kind of entry way there, because uh, you essentially started with modern um, astrology, right? Versus mm-hmm. now you have more traditional bent or blend the two, as we say. Uh, and so what kind of led you in that direction or how did, <laughs> how did that uh, course of events play out as sure. discovery? Well, you know, I kept reading on my own, as most people do, I think, especially in the beginning. Um, So I was, all I encountered at that point was modern astrology, um, because that was back in 
Uh, well, I first encountered it in 2004. So back then it was more uniformly modern astrology. There was some traditional around, but you'd really have to be seeking it out. Um, so what you would just come across naturally would be mostly modern astrology. And so, you know, I read books and I read things online and websites and so forth. Um, and so um, while that was exciting for a while, um, after I learned enough of that, I felt like I wasn't able to synthesize it as well as I would like in terms of giving like a really clear delineation of a chart. And, you know, oftentimes as, as I did at the time, people feel like it's their own fault, like their skill isn't high enough, that they're not able to do this. Um, and later on, I think I discovered that there were other pieces to that, that um, basically it was just hard to synthesize only modern astrology and give a very clear delineation rather than it could be this, it could be this, you know. Um, not to say that they're dichotomized, we'll get into that, but anyway, um, so that was my modern astrology piece. Um, so I learned it for a while, was excited, but then started feeling like wasn't quite gelling enough. Um, and then I ended up meeting Chris Brennan, um, in 2008 and we got into a a relationship. And so I kind of just informally learned (laughs) from (laughs) over time. Um, and Yeah. And interestingly, we like to joke about this because I actually wasn't into it at all at the beginning. I wasn't into traditional astrology at all. I was kind of like, eh, that's old stuff, you know, whatever. Oh, how funny. (laughs) I also, um, he likes to remind me that I said, there's just so many rules. (laughs) 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 It's sort of a disdainful way. I was like, yes, yes, there are. (laughs) Um, So anyway, yeah, I wasn't into it at first. Um, And then gradually it just sort of became an influence. Um, and I started seeing, you know, what was useful about it. Um, and so, yes, now I do blend the two. That is so funny. And (laughs) I totally resonate with you on the the whole journey that you're on, because I feel like, of course, they're very different, but I went through kind of the same process myself because I spent a good, uh, nine years or so in modern astrology. Um, and like you said, it was pretty much the only type of modern was basically all you could find because these uh, traditional texts weren't as readily available and it's not having the resurgence that it has, um, Mm -hmm. now basically. but I had the same problem that, that you seem to have, where you took in all this different information, but it was just so hard to synthesize it together. Mm-hmm. To, get, like, to be confident, to sit down and be like, this is this, this is that, this is, you know, I, I had the same exact problem. And it wasn't until I started uh, being turned on to traditional astrology, and in particular, actually, whole sign houses, which is another kind of dimension between the two, or um, not entirely, but... Uh, sometimes that can be like modern is, you know, the house based versus uh, traditional has more whole signs, but it's not as clear cut as that. However, once I started making those shifts and the rules, oh my God, my Capricorn moon got so excited about the rules. <laughs> yeah. like, it was like everything started to, to gel at that point. And for the first time in almost a decade, it's like the chart came alive for me through that structure that I clearly Mm -hmm. needed. (laughs) So I, I totally resonate, resonate with that. Um, so I mean, modern versus traditional, what's the difference? What what are we looking at here? (laughs) Well, I guess, I mean, to start with, I just want to give a caveat that those are really broad categories, as you also mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're not just, they're not monolithic things, even in themselves. So 
Um, you know, traditional, for instance, that can encompass Hellenistic, medieval, Babylonian, you know, um, Renaissance. So it can be like a bunch of different things. And so actually, I do say I normally say that I blend modern and Hellenistic because I don't claim to have studied medieval, for instance. Ah, yeah. So um, there are specifics within those categories. Um, but generally speaking, we can say that modern, at least in more recent times, like in the later 20th century, um, tends to be more focused on one psyche. And so the chart is considered a map of kind of your internal psychological being and your propensities towards your, your approach to different things rather than any concrete pieces of your life. Mm-hmm. So that's one big piece. Um, whereas with traditional the, there are specific places that you focus more on for who you are or your sort of main personality traits, but the entire chart is supposed to be a map of your whole life, including concrete areas of life, including other people in your life. So not just your approach to, say, relationships or your approach to family, but your actual family members or your actual partner. So things like that, that's a big difference. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge difference. So it's not all a a psychological analyzation of these different components of your life, which I guess, you know, that, that can fit in there because a lot of people have their practices based on that. But I found it like once I started getting into like the, the, using it more of a, as a more concrete tool, it's like I said, it's just started like blossoming and opening up. And I was noticing all these coincidences in the world and the people around me and even in my own relationship to what I encountered because, um, yeah, it was, there were so, it, it was so simple and literal in so many ways, the chart, once I started looking at it that way, mm-hmm. instead of trying to approach it from a, you know, what does this mean on the inside <laughs> type of thing? Um, so, right. yeah, so there, there is that. And I think it's very valuable. And if anything, I almost feel like, because I, I like how you brought up uh, like modern in the sense of more the late 20th century, because if you go to modern mm-hmm. texts, you know, at the turn of the 20th century, you're going to see kind of more of that. Uh, um, I don't want to say fatalistic because some of, them, some of those old books, you open them up and everyone is like dying by something or everyone is, you know, like it, it kind of had those traditional um, uh, concrete events, but everything was kind of negative. I mean, did you ever notice that in older books? Well, that- definitely in the ancient texts because they sometimes use like worst case scenarios as like vivid examples, I think. And and I think that's some of when people only get a quick glance at it rather than being really invested in learning it. It's really easy to think like, well, that's ridiculous because that doesn't happen very often. Like how often do people get you know, torn apart by wild dogs and die that way? You know, like, <laughs> that's like an actual example that's in there, you know, and um, although it's funny, well, not funny, funny, but you know, um, not that person, <laughs> not funny for that, for, for that person, but I mean, funny, like interesting yeah. that once in a while, you actually still see things like that in the news. And like, oh, that can actually happen. Not very often, but you know, it's not something that's like just completely ridiculous. So, um, you know, but nonetheless, yes, those were usually more extreme examples being used, I think, for teaching purposes. And I think that oftentimes when people read them um, nowadays, if you don't have any context to go in with, it's easy to be like, this is absurd. This has no credence, you know, because it's so extreme. Um, I do think, though, on the flip side of that, that's one of the major things that I do really appreciate about um, some of the traditional rules is there are very clear distinctions about the qualitative difference in the condition of different placements 
and therefore how they are likely to play out versus in modern psychological astrology, it's more about your your um, psychological style of approaching things, but also in a pretty value neutral sense, kind of like um, purposely so. So like, you know, your say Venus in Libra um, is not supposed to be any better than say a Venus in Scorpio. Mm. Whereas in traditional, the Venus in Libra would be considered in better condition than Venus in Scorpio. But that's not to say, I think that's another, another big category because it's not to say that that means you're like a worse person as a whole, you know, where I think people get, um, because you have to learn all the rules together. Sometimes I think sometimes when people um, only have heard little bits or one or two, they take that in isolation and then come to potentially wrong conclusions about what it's supposed to mean when no one was actually trying to make that point. I get what I totally get what you're saying because it almost turns very black and white after that if you only get a little bit of a tidbit like oh well this Venus is good and this Venus is bad yeah yeah which is not the case but one Venus is going to function more like Venus and Venus's archetype than the other one and that's kind of like the the basis behind that yes and also I think one major piece and again this is using just one one kind of rule as an example you know um uh, about the how the whole thing functions but Oftentimes, I found that people really got it more when I would say, well, look at what Venus rules in that chart. Which houses does it rule? Do those topics go better than average or not? You know, and I think that gets it out of the stylistic, like it's only a general significator of relationships, for instance. Mm. And I think sometimes when people connect those two things, just as an example, again, um, they're like, oh, okay, this is actually working in that way. Yeah. So we kind of, so basically we have to kind of dig deeper. It's not as cut and dry as this Venus does this, this Venus does that. It's like, oh, well, this is the, the style of Venus based on the sign. And we got to look at where she's operating. And, is, you know, so there's components upon components of how that can be um, navigated instead of it being that this is good. This is not so great. Um, so there's areas of gray we have to look at per usual. <laughs> Definitely areas of gray. And I think people often take it as more black and white before they learn it and are turned off by a misconception rather than the reality. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So now another cool thing about uh, adding in that traditional to, to the modern is the idea of sect, right? Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sect is like one of, it's something I'm very fond of because I found it just so useful. Um, uh, so it's one of many different kind of like qualitative distinctions using traditional rules that show how different specifics may go in different charts. And so um, sect, just for instance, again, is uh, the distinction between day and night charts. If you were born between sunrise and sunset or on the other half of the day. And um, it, when you combine that with other things, like the uh, concept of benefic and malefic, for instance, which gets much maligned in modern <laughs> astrology, um, but if you combine those, um, you can often see really clearly which areas of life are going to be more fortunate or most fortunate for that person and which are going to be most challenging. And I've just found that so utterly useful in my work. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. The first time I... <laughs> I learned about sect and then started, I started studying with Kelly Surtees uh-huh. and, um, oh yeah. like that was actually kind of the first component that helped me really like, you know, grab on and, and understand the chart in a much more, um, 
God, well, I mean, it's, it was a rule. It was a rule. I gravitated toward it. It spoke to me. And I loved that. I loved the idea of having a team to kind of be on. And some planets were going to work a little better. Some planets might be a little bit harder. And so that was just basically separating things out uh, for, like you were saying earlier, that kind of, you know, nope not all planets are created equal. And so we have these different sets of characteristics and rules, sect being one of them, that kind of highlights, uh, you know, the, the con- condition of the planet itself. And so mm-hmm. I found it incredibly useful. And of course, sect goes into much more than just the day and night. Um, there's other techniques that work off of that as well. But just that starting point for me was, was huge. Um, Yeah, because not all planets are created equal (laughs) in a chart, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah, and it really allows you, I think, to delineate a chart much more um, specifically, which I think both of us were talking about in terms of feeling a lack of being able to with only the modern astrology rules. Mm. Uh, And I think it's simply that, you know, traditional astrology had more rules involved, but it wasn't just for its own sake, for being stuck up, for being, you know, for wanting to categorize people unnecessarily. I mean, there were actually rules for a purpose, which is to make the chart much clearer as to what's actually happening in that person's life. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I will give uh, at least a little toot uh, of the old horn here. Um, she did a fantastic lecture at uh, Norwalk um, about uh, finding joy and meaning in the chart, which had a lot of basis in sect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I highly rec- recommend buying that lecture if you want to find out more about uh, how to work with sect and in particular um, the, the joy and meaning component as we're talking, because, <laughs> you know, not everything is, is doom and you know, there's a lot of other things uh, to look at in the chart. Um, mm-hmm. I can bring that positivity. And so I love that lecture that you gave. Oh, thank so, you. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm prone to the dark side sometimes. <laughs> and um, it's good to be reminded of also looking not out for what could possibly go wrong, but what could possibly go right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's important to remember, especially when you're working with uh, more rules like we're talking about here. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It just, it felt like a very appropriate lecture for me to hear at least in that moment. So we'll shout that horn. Um, all right. So now, what about the, because I know that uh, you and, uh, and Chris both have talked on this in great length, but we'll su- summary here, the fate versus free will component as far as like modern and traditional is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that definitely comes up. And I think that that's one of the tensions between, or at least historically has been one of the tensions in recent times about modern versus traditional astrology in that traditional tends to be a little bit more um, fatalistic um, and modern astrology tends to be a bit more free form and oriented towards free will. So, you know, you can always say different gradations based on particular practitioners approaches or things like that, but just based on the actual techniques that are available to you, that's one of the big pieces I think. And so for me, for instance, When I was moving from only modern astrology to learning more traditional, I was quite resistant to that idea. I did not like the idea of things being more faded and it weirded me out. (laughs) And and I think there's something tied up in there, which probably could be its own long, you know, hour long talk about um, the, the nature of people thinking 
that history is a linear progression towards things being clearer and more advanced and, you know, more positive and all of these things like that, that progress is inevitable and linear. Um, and that's not actually what's happened with astrology. So astrology, it's history, at least in the West, you know, things got lost for several hundred years um, and, and some things more than longer than that. And so it's not the case, actually, which a lot of people like to ascribe when they don't know both sides, um, that modern astrology is the pinnacle of astrological technique. It's actually like missing a lot that just got lost. And so that's kind of what's been synthesized in more recent times is recovering a lot of those things. So anyway, that was a little side note to the fate free will thing, because I think that's the piece of natural resistance oftentimes as modern people thinking like, well, we don't want to be bound by fate and we don't have to be because things are better now, you know? And so, you know, times are better and we're more free and that kind of thing. So, um, Uh, And when I started learning, in particular, for me, it was empirically based. So when I was learning some of the more predictive techniques, in particular, zodiacal releasing, um, and I was just seeing how well it was working, like Mm. uncannily well, like down to the few days. I know. (laughs) It it took me a while. I would say probably longer than most people are taking lately. (laughs) But for (laughs) me, it took me a while to come to terms with that. I was not okay with that. (laughs) You're like fascinated, but also like somewhat, you know... slash terrified. (laughs) I didn't like the idea of it. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately it was like, well, if this is working, then what does that mean? How do I have to reorient my thinking about fate and free will? And so ultimately, you know, it's not that you have to choose one side or the other. I just came to think that things were more fated than I used to think, but Mm. it's still up in the air as to exactly what extent, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think personally, I think that they, they play well together. That's the thing is like, you can't go through life thinking that it's all about free will because no, we, there are, to me, at least there are, there is a spiritual umbrella that we are underneath and we have certain journeys. Of course they can divot down different roads and that's the free will component, but there are certain things that we're meant to encounter in this lifetime and it's going to happen kind of no matter what. Um, and that, that to me is the fate component, but of course the free will component is in how you react to that and the choices that then, uh, you know, uh, dictate how you work with whatever that event or thing that is that happened to you that was necessary to happen in some way. Um, because I, you know, a couple years ago, my whole life just fell apart. Everything that I was trying to do was just like the universe was like, no, we're undoing everything that you put your free will into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there were just no way of getting around that no matter how I tried and tried to will my way over this way or, or even succumb my will to other people to think in, in a kind of a backwards kind of control dynamic. Um, and so I think in that moment, personally, I learned a lot about fate because no matter what, like the convergence of situations and people and just moments in life came together to uh, create that moment. Um, and you know, there, it, my free will got me there, but the, the event itself and, and the things that came down the way were going to happen, I think, no matter what. Does that make sense? <laughs> I might be Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that's, that's part of the issue when people get into unnecessary dichotomies about some of these type of topics is the language involved, mm. I think. And so that they have to be two opposing sides of something rather than 
um, interrelated with each other, yeah. you know, or part of each other's process. And so, um, yeah, I don't think ultimately we can know in this lifetime, like while we're, you know, like in this form, um, like how much is fate and how much is free will. I do think learning some of these traditional techniques though does make you, at least did me, realize that things were more faded than I used to think. So, um, you know, that's definitely a big difference. And um, yeah, it's fascinating to me how that interfaces with people's kind of like social um, approaches to the world, because I've noticed actually some people, um, especially among older generations or not just older generations, but I mean, people who were kind of like did a lot of their astrological practice before the main main revival of traditional Mm -hmm. stuff more recently, um, kind of automatically pinning um, more fatalism with like a backwards type of social thinking. And so like, for instance, having more progressive politics and pinning that to like free will being better. And it's interesting, those combinations, because I've actually noticed, this is a little bit of a side note, but, but it, um, but I've noticed that amongst younger people that I know that got into traditional earlier on, it's not just an age thing. It just tends to be, but it's not, that's not really the main point. It's more like, I think when you got into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what types of astrology, comparatively within your trajectory of being in astrology at all. And so I think when the people who've gotten into it earlier, I've noticed, um, who've gotten into traditional earlier, I've actually found a lot of credence and understanding of like injustice in the world being pinned to like, not everything is free will, not everything is under our individual control. And I think that's a fascinating combination to those different combinations and what they're speaking to. And I definitely tend to fall more on that latter side myself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, yes, I I do as well. And (laughs) it's so interesting. I feel like uh, the people that are getting into astrology now, or maybe in the last couple of years, I feel like they have a leg up and some... uh, in, in some respect, because I would love to just enter through this point uh-huh. rather than having that, uh, that kind of in-between period. I mean, it was valuable for me, of course. Everyone has our own journeys. But um, it's kind of interesting that some of these younger astrologers that are coming in now uh, get to kind of get straight to the meat, or at least what I consider the meat. We've got to right away and build uh, a solid foundation off that because I felt like I was navigating off a off a very rocky foundation for a while until I found uh-huh. the tools that I needed. Uh, and then that, that everything kind of concreted at that point. Mm-hmm, so, definitely. But you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater, right? You know, there no. is, <laughs> the two can be integrated and that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. So, mm-hmm. I mean, where do you see uh, the, the two just kind of blending now that they're just, especially that um, traditional techniques are more... Um, I mean, they're popular. They're popular. Mm -hmm. I guess they're more popular. Yeah, they're popular. (laughs) Well, it's fascinating that to watch that happen, you know, because I first got into astrology in 2004. And so that was 15 years ago. And um, even if you look back 10 years, if you look back even five years, um, it wasn't as popular as now. And now it's fascinating because so many people are blending them. Whereas even five or 10 years ago, it was more of like this big topic to be like, what do you do? There's modern and there's traditional. And then, you know, and it's like people really thought of them as really kind of opposed Um, and in almost like a war in some some Mm -hmm. senses, or at least with some people. But um, 
now many more people are integrating different pieces of them together in their own practices. And I think that's fascinating. And I think it's just interesting to see how quickly that's been happening compared to looking back five or 10 years even. Um, and um, Chris has this great talk on the Uranus-Neptune cycle. I mean, ironically, actually, because, right, it's two outer planets, um, but it's about, <laughs> the, um, it is about historically, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not the historian, but, um, but it's about historically that during this um, long, very long Uranus-Neptune cycle, whenever they come together in subsequent conjunctions, there's um, a time period of recovering older um, forms of astrology and figuring out how to integrate them with the current practices. And the most recent conjunction was in 1993. Yeah. And um, that's actually when Project Hindsight was started, for instance. There were other, of course, traditional things happening before then. But um, And so I think that's a lot of what we're seeing now is kind of the fruits of that most recent conjunction and seeing like how people are integrating that nowadays. And I think people are, many, many people are integrating them. So, um, I mean... I guess, so the next thing to say would be that not, I don't think there's going to be one, only one synthesis. I don't think there's going to be like only one way to combine them. I think different practitioners combine them in different ways potentially and have to make different choices. And then you could think about it differently in terms of historically what's going to last, you know, Mm. um, whether it's going to, and that can be from the vagaries of history itself as to whether that's you know, what most people decided in terms of the synthesis versus what survived in written form or something like that, you know. But, but in any case, I don't think there's only one way to combine them. I mean, for me, I could talk about how I do, if that mm. would be interesting. Um, <laughs> how you do. Well, I just want to make a quick note before yeah. we move on to that because I want you uh-huh. to get all into that. Don't <laughs> worry about that. Um, but I, I love that point about the Uranus-Neptune um, outer conjunction back in 93, how, uh, bringing that back because it wasn't at Project Hindsight that started, what, 95? It was 93. 93, the actual yeah. year. Yeah. Well, and I loved it because the, the conjunction happened at 19 degrees Capricorn. I know. Cap- Capricorn being that traditional, uh, you know, <laughs> literally yeah. tradition. Yeah. Um, and when you think about it, this upcoming Saturn-Pluto conjunction is right near that point. Exactly, yeah. It's another fascinating topic. But on mm-hmm. to blending modern and, and traditional. And so I'd love to hear your, uh, some of the things that you do, Lisa, to bring these two together. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, I mean, so everyone's got to make their own choices because there's, there's a lot of different pieces that you can, you know, you have decisions around. So for instance, um, the planetary rulerships. So I, I do use the traditional rulerships. I don't use outer planets as sign rulers. Um, and that's simply because I've watched those work so well together with whole sign houses, you know, to activate things very accurately. And so, um, of course, that's a second choice would be the house system. And so I did start out with Placidus um, and I use primarily wholesale houses at this point. So the house house system and planetary rulerships are two big pieces that one has to make a choice around. Um, And that's not to say, I remember kind of um, being weirded out by the idea of people switching because I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) Everything they've done up to that point was wrong, you know? Um, and I don't think it necessarily means that. I think for me, um, it means what's going to show the clearest. Um, and I, I also, it's a choice because I think Pulsine Houses, for me, shows the more concrete areas of life very clearly. And that's actually what I'm a little more interested in Mm -hmm. than only psychological. And therefore, I want to use that. 
And so that's not to say, I mean, sometimes when people do mention a placement in a quadrant house system and it's not really showing up clearly in the Holstein houses, I will glance at it. That's not very often, but once in a while, if there's a real emphasis, I'm like, oh, I do actually see that there. You know, and I think that that can still have credence because these are ultimately constructs. Mm -hmm. So it's not like only one, um, you know, house system is possible to work, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of these choices, I think, are about what you're trying to use it for and how consistently accurate it is for that purpose. Mm. Yes. And well, and yes, (laughs) Uh, because I, okay, where do I start? Um, So, oh, I lost my, I think I just had a Mercury retrograde moment. That's okay, because I can keep talking if you want. I have all these like thoughts that converge together. I was born with low Mercury right before it was supposed to station. Basically what it's doing now is what I was born with. And all the thoughts will converge into my head and then everything will just go and then blank. And so I forget what I was going to say. So go ahead, Lisa. Sure. <laughs> so, and just let me know when you, when you remember. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, and those are only two pieces, of course, you know, the, the house system and the rulerships. So um, then other things I use personally, I do use the benefic and malefic distinction with sect for sure. As I was mentioning earlier, um, I use mostly traditional timing techniques. That's, again, kind of a choice as to what's consistently giving you the best results for what you're most interested in. So, for instance, I used to look at secondary progressions more than I used to, more than I do now. It's not to say I think they don't work now. It's just they've become superseded in my own practice anyway by looking at things like zodiac releasing and annual perfections because they show me more of what I'm interested in. And that's not to say... I mean, you can get down a whole whole rabbit hole with that particular line of thought because I'm not saying secondary progressions don't work as a technique. Um, I actually do glance at a couple pieces of that to see, but they move more slowly. And so there's less information all of the time going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sometimes there'll be something really important going on, but not all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a choice in terms of your, your kind of predictive or timing techniques. Um, similar with solar returns, I used to... Um, be more interested in that. And then I just found that I was getting sort of more um, consistently useful information from the others that I was mm-hmm. using. Um, and then I guess in terms of, I mean, there's a lot of other distinctions like that. Like for instance, like specific things like aspect theory. So those are things that I get from traditional, but now I just think refine things better. So like for instance, um, in modern astrology, if something's in an aspect, there's not really a distinction. They're just in an aspect. So say like mm, Mars is square, your Jupiter or something. Um, so you're just in Mars square Jupiter, right? Um, but in traditional or, or at least specifically in Hellenistic, it, there's a big difference if Mars is squaring Jupiter from earlier in the order of signs, or if instead Jupiter is in the earlier order of signs, because there's a distinction of which is impacting the other more. Mm. And so I use a lot of these kind of specific things to, um, to narrow down the condition more, but these are all traditional things. I would say in terms of blending, um, I have actually seen interesting ways in which, for instance, I've used annual perfections, which is a traditional timing technique, but I've seen outer planet transits trigger them. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say, you know, I think even 10 years ago, people would be like either only use traditional techniques or only use modern. Um, and it was kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. Like I just thought it was an unnecessary war, you know? Yeah. And so 
Um, I've seen interesting things like that. That's like one example of that, where like, you know, a perfected planet, that's the ruler of the year, Neptune transits over it and something happens, you know? Yeah. Well, in those outer transits, I mean, you can, you can stick to the, the seven planets if you like, but if you go through yeah. a Pluto transit, if you go through, you know, or you see that in your client's chart or a family member or something, you know, there's kind of no denying the, in the emphasis of those outer planets, which of course, um, you know, the ancients didn't get to use because they had no idea they were there or they maybe had a speculation, but they couldn't actually see it. Um, but, and so that's a great way of, of bringing that together. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I, so I wonder if it was almost like um, spending so much, not so much time, but a good amount of time as the traditional t- techniques com- started coming out uh, and there was uh, like that resistance that you were talking about where, oh, well, I, you know, everything that I did before wouldn't matter. Or if I switched to this, like there's mm-hmm. like, a, like a, pr- a pride that was associated mm-hmm. with it. Or, and mm-hmm. I was right there with that. Like I took a whole year to make a decision to make the switch because I was like, okay, I got to work it out. I got to do everything in both ways and see which speaks to me more before I make that. Because I was like, you can't stay stubborn and be in this, like, that's not going to help you. That's not going to help mm-hmm. the process. Like, or anything. And so I'm glad that things are starting to open up more to where uh, people that were strictly modern are getting these, you know, these tools and these rules that can really help um, highlight certain things in a, in, uh, in a more clarified way. Uh, but then also the t- traditional astrologers to be like, yes, Pluto can influence. Uh-huh, <laughs> you know? uh-huh. Like yeah, the- no, totally. Because I always thought that was a weird resistance too on both sides, you know, like, why do you need to say like, none of that works, it has to be all or nothing. Like, and I, I had seen some traditional astrologers, particularly earlier on, be like, I don't even look at the outer planets. I'm like, well, okay, but they're there, you know, they are there. And, you know, and so it's like, I get it in terms of just um, needing to focus what your, what your toolbox is, because you can't ultimately, I think that's an important thing to mention, you know, in this kind of doing an episode on this topic, you can't use everything. You just can't. I mean, at least all of the time, there's just not enough time to look at everything. And so you do always have to make choices. And so it's not like a bad thing necessarily to limit yourself to what you feel like consistently works well for you. But um, it is also, to me, it seems a little silly to go that one step further and be like, the outer planets don't do anything. Like, well, no, they're there. You're just not watching them. Yeah. (laughs) So, and it's like, sometimes it would be funny because I would see them working in those people's charts. I'd be like, I can see their influence and what was, what's going on with you. You just aren't acknowledging them. Well, you know, some people are just very, you know, I'm assuming that those people were heavily uh, comprised of fixed signs. <laughs> um, because sometimes, you know, it depends on the person. Some people are more flexible uh, yeah, approach. And then other people, you know, you could beat them over the head with like the best thing in the world. And they'll be like, oh, I resist. I can't. It's not me. Um, and so it's, it can be, it can be hard to change. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I felt just if anybody else is navigating this and wanting to kind of cross uh, pollinate, I found that, um, at least for me, I just kept cross-referencing. I just kept mm-hmm. cross-referencing until, so it wasn't so much about making a decision based on what I heard. It was like, okay, let's put this into use. Let's spend time looking at it both ways. I mean, if you're on a fence, uh, basically, mm-hmm. and, and entertain uh, both sides and try to integrate those because sometimes um, that that Saturnian uh, constricting principle and kind of bringing the rules in can really help 
um, especially in the modern, uh, because modern can be so many things. I was so overwhelmed mm-hmm. by all the modern tools. I can't even list them all because I'm overwhelmed thinking about it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, was, that was hard. And so for me, I welcomed uh, traditional techniques based on almost the limit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because I mean, there are positives to having structures and limits. And I think that that's, you know, that was sort of an overcorrection maybe in terms of, you know, earlier on sort of freedom to do whatever or innovate, innovation being sort of the highest value, um, you know, was maybe a little bit too much in that direction versus having a foundation, having structure, having rules that you can rely on, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think there is a nice blend to be had with both. Um, you know, both like getting a structure that you can rely on with some of those more traditional rules, but then also, you know, using, using that, which is based on more like, um, you know, things that are recorded as authoritative sources, but, you know, then experimenting them with them, of course, yourself and making sure that they do in fact consistently work that way for you. Um, and then, you know, innovating from there if you see interesting things, but mm-hmm. it does give you a foundation. And I think that that was kind of like not valued quite enough in some of the past decades. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we see that traditional can bring uh, to modern more of that, that foundation and kind of parsing out certain things that are going to, um, take more precedence or, you know, like condition is basically what we're saying because things have different conditions. So now what can modern bring to traditional? We know the outer planets, <laughs> that yeah. is one. But uh, what other things do, does, does modern practice ha- help bring to traditional, do you think? Sure. I mean, I think, um, not that it was completely lacking, but I certainly think that um, looking at some of those planets and placements as psychological tendencies and styles, um, that still holds water. It's just not the entire picture, which is what I was kind of objecting to, but, um, but it's still useful to know, you know, and I kind of like switch back and forth sometimes between thinking about them in different ways, depending on what's needed in any given consultation, because, you know, it's actually, I've had funny experiences where as soon as I said this one time, I like, I, I feel kind of embarrassed to say this, but like it was earlier on, it was like several years ago. And, and I, I made sort of an somewhat uncharacteristic, like more bold statement that I don't usually like use. I don't remember how I said it, but something about like, I don't use modern stuff as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like the worst thing in the world to say, but it was a little bit, maybe overstating it. The next consultation I had, mostly talked about a Pluto transit the entire time. Oh. <laughs> because that's what was needed. Because that's actually like the most major thing that was happening in that person's life and in their chart. And I was like, well, of course that immediately happened to kind of put me in my place. But, you know, and so um, I do think though, you know, knowing how those things, knowing those kind of modern interpretations of um, how those psychological styles do in fact work um, can be useful, you know, at, at times. It just depends on kind of what's needed in any given situation and any given consultation. Yeah, yeah. Because there is still a psychological component, especially now that we've discovered psychology. That's another thing, you know, the 20th century was basically us discovering the, the human psyche. And so as we, like having the outer planets uh, come into our awareness as well, you know, once you... Uh, learn of something or know of something that something exists um, and it's uh, dived into enough and discovered enough, it becomes part of the collective. It becomes part of our, our understanding as humans. 
And so it's hard to like be like, no, that's there's no psychological component uh, in traditional astrology because there there is. We've we've gone down that path as uh, as a species. And so it still has to be looked at that way. But I totally agree. There's so much more you can get out of, of the chart. Like the Pluto transit, like you just said. Yes, that's a modern mm-hmm. planet. You had to look at it at. But I'm sure you assess that person's whole chart through your traditional techniques to even be able to discuss the Pluto component, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's also just like other little things that I probably don't even consciously think about most of the time, but I'm sure I integrate. And I've, I know, for instance, one that I can think of consciously, which is... Um, that is traditionally you look at the whole chart as like a map of the entire life and not the psyche. Um, well, and particularly like you'd say that about the houses, right? You say mm-hmm. like mostly the first house and the ascendant ruler and the sect light. There are a few different places that you would look primarily um, using traditional rules for like who this person is, but not the whole chart. Well, I mean, but I've seen it sometimes go the other way. And so while I do, and so that's a kind of a gradation thing where I'm kind of like just, um, integrating both in the moment as it seems to be playing out. Because like, you know, your your third house, for instance, um, oh, there's a couple things about the third house. Like, I don't think writing books was there. I remember having a discussion with Chris about this like a few years ago, and he would be like, that's not in the traditional text. And I'm like, but I've seen it happen over and over. And people write books with the third house. <laughs> and, you know, and so, you know, that's kind of an example where, but from a modern perspective, you'd be like, yeah, third house is totally communication. So books go there, you know? Yeah. Um, and so even though ninth house can also be publishing, you know, in both systems, I would say. But um, yeah, so there's things like that where I'm like, well, yes. And, and that kind of major thing that people yell about a lot about like houses aren't signs. True, mm-hmm. they aren't. Um, except when they kind of are. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> um, and so, you know, so for instance, you know, people rail against the 12 letter alphabet that was introduced mm-hmm. in the seventies as like kind of a, you know, a, te- a useful, simplistic teaching tool. So like Aries is the first house, Taurus is the second house. And now it's become more fashionable to have a backlash against that with the traditional revival and be like, houses aren't signs. And I agree that they aren't, particularly the first house really is not Aries, but mm-hmm. um you know, sometimes you can see some overlap. Yeah. And so I think it's just good. I mean, I guess the larger point is to not get dogmatic, you know? Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, to, to stay curious about, you know, like structure is good. Structure is good. Tradition is useful. You know, all of those things are good. And I think unnecessary correction to the like super free form thing that came before. Um, but, you know, it's good to just stay curious as a person and pay attention to what you're actually seeing rather than what someone's told you one way or the other. Mm, yes, because I mean, that's how, if you think about it, that's how we got any of what we're talking about here today is all through observation. <laughs> so uh, we, us as astrologers and, and humans don't need to observe uh, what is, what's happening, what's working, uh, what just what we see, because that is going to develop the craft even further. Um, so yes, I, I totally get that. We got to just observe, um, because that's how we're ever going to know. And everybody's practice is different. That's the thing. It's just like, whether you're, you know, primarily modern, primarily traditional, we're all arriving somewhat at the same, not completely, but a lot of times at the same um, conclusion or at least close to that same conclusion, but using different techniques, different house systems. And so that tells you a lot about 
the practice itself, how there's kind of many ways to skin the cat, you know, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, so there's different ways of getting there for different people, I guess, is the way I look at it. Yeah, I think there are. I mean, and I, I think for me, what I've come to is, is kind of a both, you know, a both and kind of approach, which is on the one hand, I'm very pro, like there are multiple insights to be had when you come at it at something from different angles. And there's not just like one truth about things. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty like on that side, but then at the same time, um, I'm also pretty like, empirically based, which is to say, not everything that everyone claims is true. And so you can't just say, well, because someone does astrology this way, like all, all roads are true. Well, no, some are more true than others. You know, if you're talking about what's lining up with people's actual lives. So I try to balance both of those sides personally and be like, you know, there's not just one way to do things. I totally agree with that. Um, And, you know, you can get multiple insights from different angles, but you have to test it too and make sure this is actually working. And I think that, you know, I saw that a lot. That's why I'm fond of the greater um, rules and foundation added in now, because I did see that a lot previously um, with practitioners just repeating things they'd heard or read. Mm. And even if you read it, even if it's a published book, that doesn't necessarily mean that it actually works that way in everyone's chart. So you do have to keep testing it. And, you know, some people I think do that more than others. Hmm. No, that's a good point because that's not all books by any means, but a lot of modern astrology books that are out there, especially that were written like the 60s and the 70s have that that cookbook style. And I'm sure much like um, uh, maybe even tarot practitioners as well, you know, you kind of memorize what other people have said Mm -hmm. versus like Mm -hmm. just working it out and seeing how it plays out and doing the... um, the research and, <laughs> and following up with things. Uh, so it was almost like this kind of this, this is this, this is this. And then so you're just kind of working off of these um, all, other people's thoughts, essentially, uh, rather than, that's what I liked about a traditional is like I started building a story for those particular planets and those particular signs and the characteristics that they had based on, you know, uh, the sect or the condition that they were in. Um, and so you were kind of, so I felt like I was on my own cookbook, you know, right? I was like building these, I had these different ingredients and then it was coming together uh, to, you know, bake this astrological cake basically. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering if that's another thing with modern versus traditional, because you, you don't really see traditional cookbooks, right? I mean, are there- not very often. <laughs> no, no. It's much more like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's kind of like extreme examples and then sort of like as a teaching tool and you just kind of have to like put it together yourself, which I think has made it harder to learn for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, no, not so much cookbooks. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think really like what I appreciate and what I, what I wasn't seeing um, about people just repeating things earlier was you know, I think modern astrology, you know, kind of tying back to that question of, you know, what does that really bring in? What it's really good at is getting at the interstates and doing, you know, like, you know, what is your, what is your feeling sense right now, probably given these transits or giving these natal placements, you know, and I think it is really quite good at that. Um, mm-hmm. But it sometimes tried to overreach by saying, you know, extrapolating that to the outer world. And that didn't always line up. And so that kind of, it's, I'm tying in a couple questions together here because <laughs> for subtopics, because that's something that I saw people just repeating things that they had read. And if I would say, that's not actually how that's playing out in my life. Um, they would insist that their version was right. 
over my own life. And, you know, I had a couple sort of like not great consultations on the receiving end earlier on before I knew too much astrology on my own. And that's why I became receptive to traditional later because I had noticed that people said these things that just weren't true and they could, they could be accurate about the psychological state, but they would overreach with that and make a blanket statement as far as that was the only piece that was going on. I think that's really the biggest thing is that the, the inner psychology and the outer world, but the inner psychology doesn't make the entirety of the outer world. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what like the late 20th century astrology was based on, was your psychology making your world. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean, you hear it all all the time today, like uh, how, you know, your perception is your reality or like what's going on in the interstate is basically creating the outer, uh, Mm -hmm. what it is you connect with on the, on the outer. And there Mm -hmm. is some truth to that, but I'm sure there's also mitigating influences that um, are not quite that as well. And so, you know, we're trying to meet in in the middle here. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a huge ongoing soapbox on that particular issue. Just oh, have you? <laughs> if you look at any, yeah, if you look at any, and it made me curious about where everyone came from, the practitioners in the later 20th century and what kind of worlds they came from that they could mm. say such things and believe them to be true. Because if I looked around my world, even before I learned much astrology, I'd be like, no, I see lots of things happening that seem to be you know, like difficult things befalling people through no fault of their own. I see lots of that, you know? And so like, you know, how would you, and that's what I mean about like really evaluating what you're learning as you go, you know, even though tradition is useful, any kind of tradition, whether it's modern tradition, traditional tradition, you know, but then evaluating it and seeing, does that make, you know, um, common sense to me based on what I've seen in the world through my other lenses besides astrology? Does that go, you know, does that have credence with my own experience with people I know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Because that's what really didn't line up for me. And that was ultimately what made me gel with some of the traditional stuff eventually, even though that wasn't my initial, you know, like thing I was going for, because that was one big piece of the modern that I had huge issue with was Mm -hmm. like, you know, that you create your own tragedies and things like that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah. You have to navigate those tragedies after the fact. And that's where the, the psychological component can come in. So here we can mm-hmm. see more concrete mm-hmm. events taking place, but the modern side could come in and be like, okay, so we see this. Now we can maybe talk about it a little bit and bring in that more human element now that we know uh, what the overall scenario might look like that you'll encounter. Um, but how do you, you know, so it's almost like the modern psychological component can then just kind of be in uh, the next layer to be like, well, let's discuss this. Let's talk mm-hmm. about, talk about a couple ways that you can um, navigate this because obviously you're going to be feeling it on the inside, no matter what it is you encounter on the outside. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, cool. Okay. So, um, we are, so we don't go too long here. Um, now was there anything else you wanted to share on, uh, on, um, on modern and traditional working together or shall we move into just a quick little FYI about local astrology groups? <laughs> I think those were the main thing, you know, we could talk for a long time about I'm that, sure. but I, mean, I think those are a lot of the main points. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's save some so we can have Lisa yeah. back and we'll have, we'll talk about new topics here. Um, but okay. So I want to give a little shout out, uh, to just further, uh, 
furthering education locally, because I don't know if any of you listeners out there um, attend a local astrology group, if you have one in your city, or uh, if you're thinking about starting your own and they don't have to be like big nonprofit things. It can be a couple people getting together in a room, (laughs) you know, like once a month to talk about astrology. Um, And so Lisa and I are both parts uh, of astrology organizations. Lisa, what do you take part in? Well, so um, I've co-organized the Denver Astrology Group for the past um, 10, what, almost, no, maybe 11 years, something like that. Um, And then I'm also the presiding officer um, of AFAN, Association for Astrological Networking. Nice. And so we're, we're networking right now. Um, And it was uh, April last week had brought up how AFAN was interested in just kind of like informing people more about um, local astrology groups and getting something going in, in your city, because there is something to be said about that component of getting together and actually discussing in person, (laughs) you know, speaking astrologies to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your, what's your group like, Lisa? How how many people tend to come out or what's kind of the vibe? Um, So it's grown over the years. And I would say we usually have about 30 to 40 per meeting. Um, We usually do lectures, although well, I shouldn't say that. We've often done lectures. We'll also sometimes throw in other formats, like um, having panels on things and doing some impromptu like chart readings on specific topics from audience members, things like that. Um, we, in earlier years, did like study groups sometimes of some of the like traditional rules, like some of the like aspect theory and different things. We've kind of experimented over time. Um, yeah, so, and it's definitely grown. We used to have more like you know, 15, 20 a meeting. And now we do have more like 30 to 40, but um, it's tough after a long time getting, you know, topics and speakers for every uh, month, particularly if you don't have a model where you're flying people out from out of town and kind of like saving up money for that. So mm-hmm. of course there's different models. Um, but yeah, Afian um, has recently in April, Elliot Kent, who you just did have on, um, is involved in that, um, in kind of helping to spearhead that, um, trying to help coordinate people involved with local groups or who are either helping to run one already or who are interested in starting a new one if they don't have one already in their city or in their state. Um, And so, yeah, if anyone out here listening is interested in that, whether you're already involved or just interested in starting one, definitely look up AFAN um, on Facebook. Um, We have a specific Facebook group now for the local groups initiative. And we're just trying to get more conversation going and kind of like potentially just more, you know, um, questions and answers just from experienced people running groups versus people trying to start new ones and best practices. And we're going to try to have some webinars around that and things like that. Ah, yes. Because it's a, well, like Lisa was just saying, it's good to network these things too, because if you are a group that is looking for people to come and speak for the group, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's hard for a speaker just to go to one place, you know, speaking as a, as a musician, like you, you go on a tour, <laughs> you need these different uh-huh. actions to, um, you know, help uh, astrologers spread the word to different cities. And so that's cool that AFAN's helping to put something like this together to kind of make that more aware or to create more chapters, because um, they don't have to be all, um, because there's a lot of cities that have NCGR chapters, um, uh, that are under like a bigger organization and those are very valuable. We need those too, but there's, you know, there's a lot of independent groups like, uh, San Diego Astrological Society, which I'm the vice president of and which April Elliott Kent's the president of who Mm -hmm. was speaking of. Um, and you know, we got a great group been around since 1974, uh, and have, uh, over a hundred members in our, um, in our society. And there's really something to be said about getting together one 
one, not one-on-one. <laughs> it ends up that way because there's a lot of chatty Cathy's uh, during break. Um, but to get together and just talk this out in person. It's, it's super fun. So if you want to find out more, you know, what Lisa just said, there is a, a Facebook group on uh, Facebook, obviously, uh, that, that is the, what is it called? It's, af, um, it's local just look, look up a fan local groups. Um, I should have looked up the exact title, but it's something like that. We just started it quite recently. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, if you're either involved already or just interested in how to start a new group or, you know, whether you have it in you to start a new group, yeah, just come and join and, you know, people will be happy to talk to you about it. Sweet. All right. Well, well, thank you, Lisa. Well, well, let's segue into where can you find Lisa? What's Lisa got going on? What do you, where can they find you? <laughs> sure. So, um, well, um, if you go to my website, um, I do consultations and um, I have a few lectures for sale on there from past conference lectures. Um, my website is lisashime.com. I'm going to spell it because none of it's phonetic. So it's, <laughs> none of it. So it's uh, L-E-I-S-A-S-C-H-A-I-M.com. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you parents for not having phonetic names for me. <laughs> um, and, uh, so you can find more, more about, um, how I approach things there and look up consultations. I do electional astrology as well. Um, I do that, as I mentioned earlier, the, um, monthly electional podcast on the astrology podcast co-hosted with Chris Brennan to find all the good, um, auspicious elections for the month to start new things. And, um, yeah, I think the only other, um, major external thing I'm doing this year is the NCGR conference at the end of August, beginning of September, and that's going to be in Baltimore. So you can look, look that up. I'll be doing a, a talk on annual perfections there. Nice. Yeah. So all you uh, East Coast people and uh, Jack, if you're listening, you know, I'm talking to you. Go to go see that. <laughs> um, yes. And so, yes, if you're looking to start an astrology group, definitely listen to the, uh, the elections on the Patreon because maybe there'll be a good time to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I will, uh, I will share Lisa's information as well on my page. So uh, where can you find me? Well, you can find me over at uh, energeticprinciples.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles. Um, and of course, if you like what you heard here today, you know, spread it, spread the good word. If someone doing modern need to hear about traditional, what about us as vice versa? You know, <laughs> share, share the podcast and uh, leave a nice review if you feel so inclined. Um, and of course, if you want to make a one-time donation, you can always do that with my tip jar over on my, my homepage. So... All right. Well, I've given enough of my. <laughs> it's hard when Mercury's stationing. I feel like I've got a, like a, a swirl Mercury soup going on in my head right now. So, thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. I'm glad we made it through un, unscathed through <laughs> with no disruptions. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I hope to have you back again. So. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you are faring well during this eclipse season. Um, I really do appreciate you listening. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.